Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 142 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO Eric Koslick. Thanks for tuning in to this remote interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I chat with Nick Fisher, who runs the wildly popular Cocktail Chemistry YouTube channel. We're talking almost a million subscribers popular. This ain't no joke. Of course, we talk about how his channel came to be and how he goes about creating his videos, but we do have an overarching focus in this interview, Fernet. Many of you know it as the bartender's handshake or that thing you tried once and really hated, but regardless of your affinities or aversions, the fact remains, Fernet is one of the most important and least understood categories of bitter liqueurs on the planet. Nick recently published a video where he conducted a comparative tasting of nine different Fernets from around the world, and that is what we're here to debrief. But before we get down, dirty, and bitter with Fernet, let's do the right thing and give you the opportunity to make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Industry Sour. To make it, you'll need one ounce of green chartreuse, one ounce of Fernet Branca, one ounce of lime juice, and one ounce of simple syrup. Combine all these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, give them a good hard shake for about 15 seconds until the drink is thoroughly chilled and appropriately diluted, and then strain into a stemmed cocktail glass and enjoy. If this formulation looks familiar to you, well, that's because this is a riff on my favorite cocktail, the last word, which follows these exact same ingredient ratios, but swaps out the Fernet for gin and the simple syrup for maraschino liqueur. Ounce for ounce, the industry sour is a little less boozy with two non-alcoholic ingredients rather than just one, but the complexity is arguably greater because you're looking at an Amaro with over 27 herbs and spices in Fernet Branca, right? And that is replacing the gin, which generally has anywhere from five to 15 key botanicals. If you're familiar with the last word format, you can think of the industry sour as its deeper, darker cousin. The Fernet Branca plays surprisingly well with the green chartreuse because where I think of chartreuse being fresh, foresty, and kind of chlorophyllic, the Fernet flavor profile bookends those flavors with intense earth and bitterness on one hand and piercing menthol on the other. Will it be a challenge for your palate? Most definitely, but I can't think of a better way to celebrate two of the world's most iconic cocktail mixers than by combining them in one potent sipper. So, now that you've got an appropriately bitter and mysterious libation to keep you company, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this Amaro-driven conversation with Nick Fisher of Cocktail Chemistry, some of the topics we discuss include... How Nick started his incredibly popular YouTube channel and how he organizes his videos by subject to appeal to different audiences. 
why he decided to subject himself to a comparative tasting of nine different domestic and imported Fernets, where Fernet fits into the larger world of Amari and herbal liqueurs, and why it's a deceptively difficult category to define. Where in the world Fernet is the most popular, and how the people of Argentina have created their own signature method of drinking Fernet and Coke. You're not going to want to miss that one. We also do a comparative tasting of two different Fernets from Nick's video to give you just a little cross-section of different tasting notes. We talk about the flavor science supporting Fernet's complexity, and we also discuss the merits of using really nice whiskey in cocktails. This was a really fun chat. It's organized around the central theme of Fernet, but as we explore topics like flavor, history, and culture, a lot of fun little tidbits rise to the surface for your consideration. Of course, I highly recommend that you subscribe to the Cocktail Chemistry YouTube channel for more highly engaging content of this sort, but for now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this fun little Fernet duet with my friend, Nick Fisher of Cocktail Chemistry. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Eric, thank you for having me. So can you just start us off here by introducing yourself? Uh, it's a little strange because you have so much more exposure and so many more followers than we do. But assuming that a few of our folks listening at home don't know who you are, just give us a, the brief bio and tell us what you do. Sure, sure. Um, so I run a primarily a YouTube channel called Cocktail Chemistry, although we are on some other platforms as well. And um, yeah, we teach people how to make cocktails at home, whether it's basics or some more fancy stuff. Uh, I've been doing it for, gosh, I've been doing it since like beginning of 2016 now, which is crazy to think how long it's been going. Um, but uh, yeah, we put out a video every, about one every two weeks. Um, so that's the typical cadence we go for. Nice. Yeah. You've got a pretty prolific backlog. Everything from, as you mentioned, like the basics to some of the more high end stuff where you're smoking things and creating ice spheres that you then need to break. Um, I love, I, th I think the, the one video on your channel that you have pinned there, the kind of like intro video kind of says it all. It's got, it's got an amazing highlight reel of just all the techniques and uh, cocktails that, that you've put together. So I definitely will link, don't worry, we'll, everybody, we're going to link to everything in the show notes. So if you've got any interest in um, heading over to YouTube, we'll, we'll hook you up big time. But how'd you get into the business of cocktails and or uh, begin recording yourself making them? Yeah. I mean, I'll try to give you the shortened version. Um, but uh, when I when I first graduated uh, and got into the workforce, I was in New York in 2006. And that was like, that was like when cocktail renaissance was happening. And New York City at that time had like, had like employees only and like, uh, you know, like a bunch of other staples were like just getting big around there. And so cocktails was always like a big part of my adult life living in, living in New York. And then moving out to San Francisco after that, um, I just started dabbling in making stuff at home. I think part of it's like trying to save a bit of money, you know, instead of paying $15 for an old fashioned, oh, I can just learn how to make this at home. I actually ended up taking a cocktail class at this um, pretty famous uh, speakeasy out here called Bourbon and Branch. And it was just like my first intro to like the fundamentals of a cocktail. And so like how to make a basic sour and what that template is or uh, some spirit forward cocktails like a, like a Manhattan and like what a modifier is. And like things just started to get more interesting as you start to learn and make connections between different type of cocktails. And then, so I just was doing that at home for a while. And then when it started to turn into um, 
something I was recording was actually when I figured out this fun technique uh, that you kind of alluded to earlier about putting a cocktail inside of a ball of ice. It was actually inspired by this drink called um, an old-fashioned In the Rocks that the Aviary Bar in Chicago serves. But they use like a blast freezer, and it's, it's a bit more of a uh, scalable industrial approach. So this was basically taking like your standard ice ball mold um, and, you know, for like, a, for like a big mold for like an old-fashioned, and then not freezing it all the way solid so that there's still ice on the outside but liquid on the inside, and then in extracting the water, pouring the cocktail back into it, and then presenting it that way. And it's just like, it's totally all about the presentation. It's actually like not the most efficient way to serve a cocktail at all, but it would just blow my guest's mind and, you know, friends who would come over and they'd never seen anything like that. And so I would always get asked how to make it. And I was just starting to play around with some videos on my iPhone. And at that time, I just used the, um, I sort of filmed it uh, off the cuff and used the iMovie app on the phone to edit it and use my earbuds to just do like voiceover and publish it from there. Um, so it was really low budget and uh, ended up, that video ended up going pretty viral on Reddit actually, which can drive a ton of traffic. Um, and so it kind of all started from there and I was like, all right, maybe I should like, play around with this some more and a couple other videos did well. And then I just kind of turned it into a, like a hobby. Nice. Yeah. Uh, gotta love that Reddit. It, it, Reddit can be a, cr a cruel mistress, uh, but also a benevolent one. If you, if you hit the algorithm just right there. So when I think about this podcast, generally I have a couple of categories that I fit our episodes into. This would be considered an interview episode. We also have a bar cart foundations series of episodes where it's more of like a monologue of me kind of taking a deep dive, almost like um, somewhere in the vicinity of a how-to cross with an audio essay of like citrus or ice or homemade liqueurs or what have you. And then we have our oddities category where it's things that don't quite fit in just as well into those other two categories. Um, I'm wondering if there's uh, categories that your videos uh, fit into in, in a similar way. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, at the, at the pretty early days of my channel, I spent a good amount of time trying to think about like, what is the structure of this channel? Who is my audience? And I actually did some like surveys that I pushed out through my YouTube channel to like understand, oh, are people more interested in basics, some more advanced stuff? And honestly, it was like such an even split across all the different uh, types of videos I was putting out. So I ended up just creating these different like playlists is how you structure them on YouTube. But there's really like the getting started. And that's like the fundamental like techniques of how to shake versus how to stir and why you do one versus the other and things like, you know, uh, ice and like, you know, adding salt to cocktails, like all these little like little like tips and tricks that you should kind of like learn as you're getting started. Because um, I was trying to meet my audience where they were and a bunch of people were just like really trying to get into making stuff at home. Uh, but then there's some people who really like some of the more advanced stuff. So some of that stuff like putting, you know, a, a cocktail inside of an ice ball. Or recently I did these like cocktail pods uh, that are sort of like putting a cocktail inside of like this sort of Tide Pod type, you know, gelatinous uh, 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 membrane. Um, and, and some people just like watching that and some people like to actually get to that level and make that kind of advanced stuff at home. And then some people like to really just the three ingredient basic cocktails, teach me how to do something pretty easy. Um, so there, I've got getting started, I've got basic cocktails that are like three or four ingredients, I've got advanced techniques, which are a lot more complex, 
um, you know, involving smoke and some other sometimes more expensive equipment. And then the other category does really well. Um, it's called the recreated series. So it's about like recreating cocktails from pop culture. So we'll make like, you know, the white Russian from Big Lebowski and then we'll do like a more like a fun riff on it. Um, and people like that stuff just cause it's very nostalgic. Uh, and, um, the way I see those videos is they're all sort of serving different purposes. So some of that pop culture stuff is meant to just like hook people a little bit, like get them interested. Oh, I've always wanted to learn how to make, you know, like the flaming Mo from like the Simpsons. Right. So let's see this guy's take on it. And then hopefully they come in and they get interested in making cocktails. And I kind of funnel them down like the more basics and getting started type stuff. So that's like the, the, general structure that I go for. Um, but honestly, it's, I'm always branching out and trying some new stuff and uh, trying to keep it fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I noticed that you recently did a series on uh, Harry Potter cocktails. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did like the, <laughs> the butterbeer from, uh, from Harry Potter. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. It's always fun to kind of take like, cause these, these pop culture references, whether it's, you know, like the, the pangalactic gargle blaster from Hitchhiker's Guide or like butterbeer from Harry Potter. Like there's always like something to, to kick off from and, and there's some basic ingredients, but then there's also a lot of room for interpretation. Um, and so it's fun to kind of dive in and do your research and say, all right, if I'm going to, I'm going to make like a butterbeer foam, like how would I, how would I do that? Even though like the, the specs were not provided for me in the books. Right. So it's just, it's a nice little creative, creative exercise. It totally is because you get to ask that question. You get to say, okay, like, what are my materials? Like, what are literally the raw materials that I have to work with? What are the gaps I need to fill in? And how do I fill in those gaps in a way that's respectful to my source of inspiration and also in a way that also kind of advances the conversation when it comes to flavor? I, I love that. So the reason why we're here today is, of course, to you know talk about videos and all the cool stuff that you do. But, um, you know... One video in particular really struck me on your channel because it was something that I'd actually been, you know, meaning to do for for a while myself and you know, not not even necessarily to video, but just to, you know, gain more perspective on the world of spirits and cocktails and and that video was a comparative tasting of nine different fernets. And um, you know, I I want to get into a lot of detail here, uh, but first off, like what brought that idea to your mind and what made you uh, motivated enough to pick up nine different fernets uh, to, to shoot this video? Um, very good question. There's a couple reasons. One, being in San Francisco, fernet is like a staple spirit out here. It's sort of like one of the bartender's handshakes out here. Um, but also, I find that like, the best way to learn about something I'm not super familiar with is to force yourself to teach it to other people. And so I didn't come into this as like a Fernet expert and I was just going to taste a bunch and like school everyone on all the details of nine different Fernets. It's like, I actually, I wanted to learn more about this category and it's a good forcing function to do a bunch of research and then try to match that research to real things that you're tasting. Um, and so for me, it was just more of mot motivation to just actually learn a bit more about Fernet. I've sort of developed more of a, an affinity to the Amaro category over the last couple of years. And Fernet's always been a bit more unapproachable for me because it's just so intensely bitter. And we'll get into more about the tasting notes and all that. But like, yeah. it, uh, it was really just a motivation to just learn more about the category. And uh, 
I now have a bunch of extra bottles of Fernet that I don't quite know what to do with, uh, but I've been uh, definitely having fun experimenting with it. Yeah, for sure. Well, if you just back up and think about what kind of person would have nine bottles of Fernet, the answer is like really nobody unless you're a Fernet collector. Yeah. Because uh, if you're a bar that serves a lot of Fernet, okay, maybe you'll have like a lot of Fernet Branca. And maybe a couple bottles of the Branca Menta or maybe uh, a couple bottles of a more local Fernet. Uh, but you're not going to have nine types. And and the same goes for, for a home consumer. So it, it is almost like an aberration to just have nine bottles of Fernet at any given time from different places. Uh, so I, I just like I, it. We're starting off from a weird place anyway. So there's going to be some sort of learning involved, mm-hmm. which, which I think is cool. Um, and going back just briefly to the video format. You know, one of the things I really liked about um, the way you approach your videos is you got a couple different camera angles, but the primary angle is is really about the the spirits, the stuff on the table being manipulated by your hands. And, um, you know, you've got this really compelling voiceover throughout the whole thing, kind of walking us through. And you can tell that you're taking multiple cuts to do this. You know, you've got the, you, you've got a, the pores are pre-poured every time you transition to a new spirit. So um, I, I just wanted to say, I'm sure that takes a lot of work, but for me, uh, the outcome was that when you had all those bottles lined up and you were kind of going through, going down the line, I really liked the type of focus that that approach allowed me to have as a viewer and then in the moments where you did kind of zoom out and change camera angles to to yourself actually physically tasting and and kind of contemplating these things it made it almost more dramatic and and it like kind of got me into it more so I don't know I just wanted to compliment the video approach and I I think it really lent itself well to an extended tasting because I mean it can get really dry doing nine things one after another yeah yeah and actually even from the beginning my video uh, my approach to editing has been very much around make it about the drink, make it not as much about me. I don't do a bunch of you know opening monologues and and I try to I try to the way I do it is I film everything and then I'll just do all the voiceover and post production like you alluded to, which allows me to do really tight edits so that you know I'm not you know doing a lot of like tangents and I can really like cut to exactly the things I want to talk about and also allows me to refine my research. So if I like. I don't know a lot about a category like Fernet, like I can do a lot of research in, you know, ahead of time and also in real time while I'm doing post-production. But it's also kind of funny when you're doing a taste test and then you're describing those tasting notes. So I'd actually, I would taste it live uh, when I was recording it. And then also also when I was doing voiceover and post-production, I I was doing another tasting just to make sure I was getting those, those tasting notes right. Uh, But yeah, I'm glad you appreciate the style. It's definitely a lot of work in post, but it's, uh, I think it produces a much a much higher density of information in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. So getting back to this Fernet video, you bookended Fernet Branca and Fernet Branca Menta, which mm-hmm. I think was a smart thing to do. And and what that made me think of was, uh, so at these uh, cocktail or rather spirits judging competitions uh, of, of which I attend some, there's an entire type of work that goes on behind the scenes to take these blind flights that get presented to the judges and make sure that they're presented in a smart order. Uh, so can you talk a little bit of how you decided, besides just bookending Fernet Branca and Fernet Branca Menta, um, was there any approach that you had to lining these things up in a compelling way? 
It's a good question. And actually, in retrospect, I don't know if it was the best order. Because in general, I feel like what you should strive to do is have, just here maintaining a decent palette throughout this whole thing, is have like probably the most intense ones at the end. Um, and Fernet Branca, in the end, is one of the more intense Fernets out on the table. And so to kick it off with that was tough. I had to do some palate cleansers with some water just to like break it up a little bit. Um, yeah. And having not really tasted all these things, it was actually, there was no way for me to know like the best flavor palette to uh, really line it up for. Um, but honestly, this video, <laughs> this video started off as just being like, I wanted to do a Fernet and Coke, you know, it's like really popular in Argentina. And I have this whole series of doing cocktails from like different countries. And I was like, I'm going to do Argentina's Fernet and Coke. And that's going to be the video. And then when I was going through trying to pick which Fernet, I realized there's so many different types of Fernets out there. And the category is really, it's really an interesting category and very loosely defined, actually. So as I went through these and tasted them, there were some that I was like, should this be even considered a Fernet because of how vastly different it is from the others on the table? Uh, and we can get into those if you want. But like, uh, and to answer your basic question, like there wasn't much thought placed into this, except I knew I wanted to start off with like, the king of Fernet, because everyone knows Fernet Branca, and I wanted to just use that as like the baseline that I'm comparing everything else against. But from a pure like structuring it around the, the bitterness in the palate, that one probably isn't the best one to start off with. And and the good thing about YouTube is I get a lot of real time like feedback and comments. Uh, well, good and the bad thing, I guess. But like uh, it, people were pointing out that actually Branca Menta may not be technically even a Fernet because it's um, it's such a deviation from it. Um, but I thought that that was going to be so intensely minty, knowing that Fernet Branca is pretty menthol forward. And then there's a thing called Branca Menta, which is probably going to be even more minty. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be, it's going to blow my mind and I'm going to hate it. So I put it at the end, but it actually ended up being really smooth, really like rich mm -hmm. and a little sweeter, actually lower ABV and, um, and really nice, actually very drinkable. I really liked it. Yeah. Branca Menta, uh, for folks out there who are, uh, into the cream-based cocktails or the egg-based cocktails, anything a little bit thicker. I really love making a Fernet flip with Broncamenta because it, oh man, it it just plays so well with the 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 fat and the the creamy matrix of uh, proteins in the egg. It's just, uh, man, it, it's it's special for sure. So. I guess before we dive in and start talking about some of the specific brands, let's give folks an overview of the category of Fernet as you see it, because, you know, the big problem I see with this category, it's, it's not, you could look at it as a problem or you could just kind of, it could just be a backhanded compliment to Fernet Branca is that Fernet Branca is like the Kleenex of Fernet. Like everybody assumes that Fernet Branca is a product and a category in and of itself, and they don't realize that there's a larger category of Fernets. So what to you does that category evoke? Yes, good question. In one word, it is bitter. Um, and many people think of Fernet as a subcategory of the Amaro category, which literally translates to bitter. And I will say I took a lot of my a lot of my uh, knowledge around this category from this guy, Brad Thomas Parsons, who wrote a book called Amaro, which is, if you're interested in this category at all, it's sort of a must, it's like your Bible. And it, they, and one thing that he talks about a lot is just the general confusion and lack of consensus on even the definition of in Amaro. So you think about Campari, right? Which is, 
you know, often thought of as like an aperitif, uh, especially if you go back to Italy, they have that before the meal. And then you have like a, a Moro Montenegro, which is more digestif, something you have after the meal. And a lot of Italians will say, no, only those like darker digestifs are Amaro. Everything else is its own, Campari is its own separate category. But like, that's not a consensus. Like a lot of bartenders, including Brad, will say, well, any, any of those bitter spirits should be classified as an Amaro. Um, and I tend to agree with that. And then you have Fernet, which is, again, it doesn't have like a standard definition. It doesn't come from a specific region. Um, it is just characterized by certain flavor profiles and uh, other characteristics. So things that are common about Fernet is they tend to be a bit higher ABV. They can range from like 39% to even up to like 50% ABV, which is higher than most other Amari. Um, and then it also tends to be uh, much more bitter. So the bitter profile is much higher and you see more common uh, different types of things that make it bitter like aloe, uh, myrrh, uh, chamomile is often thrown in there as well. That's not really a bitter agent, but that's like a common flavor you see. Um, so very bitter, higher alcohol. That's generally what I think of when I think of Fernet. Um, and like you said, Fernet Branca is what most people sort of think of as that is Fernet, but there's a ton of different uh, brands out there now. Fernet Branca actually wasn't even the original Fernet. I think it was Fernet like Villette or one of these other ones because back even mm -hmm. further in Italy. Um, but it is, they're a marketing powerhouse. So they're, they're the ones that are by far the most well-known and most cocktails are built around that as the, as the, um, as the Fernet ingredient. Right, right. Uh, now, see, to me, when I think of Fernet, I also think not necessarily of mint per se, and we might get to this when we talk about the uh, the Leopold Fernet, uh, but some sort of mentholated flavor. Now, you, like rosemary could be a mentholated flavor. They kind of like that sappy, fresh, green flavor. Uh, and obviously, you know, a lot of these fernet producers are sourcing a couple of things obviously they're sourcing spices and this brings us back of course to the history of the italian spice trade how the uh, genoese and other you know the sicilians the genoese a lot of different uh, italian city states post roman empire especially uh, really took to the mediterranean sea and and tightly controlled that spice trade so of course we've got this huge legacy of uh, just availability of spices coming from the Silk Road to the West. And then, of course, the, the rich Alpine and forested regions, especially um, in Northern Italy, where a lot of these uh, fernets are made. So we've got this kind of collision of exotic spices and also like the Alpine backdrop, which is just, uh, you know, just some of, the, some of the things that grow in that region are just tremendous when it comes to either medicinal or just flavorful herbs. And I, of course, we can't really get away with failing to mention that all of these Amari, however you choose to classify them, were kind of the medicine of their time, right? Yeah, I mean, there's some, I think it's pseudoscience at this point, but there is some discussion around that it helps you digest things. And my understanding is that the belief is that the bitter elements actually are treated by your body as like a poison. Like we're, we're generally repelled by bitter flavors and it's because it's meant to protect us from things that are poisonous that tend to be bitter. And so by treating it as a poison, it's meant to like expel things out of your stomach more quickly and so help you digest some things. I, I, don't, I don't believe there is science to back that up, but it's a good story. 
but yes, like you said, it is it always it is always seen as more medicinal. In fact, during prohibition, Fernet Branca was actually one of the few legal uh, spirits in many parts of the U.S., including in San Francisco, which in part contributed to its popularity because uh, you could that would be a one easy source of getting getting alcohol. Um, and you mentioned menthol, yeah, menthol is one of those very common flavors. As I was going through this, it was often how mentholated was it? Um, and yeah, Fernet Branca is just like a menthol bomb. <laughs> yeah. So I've actually got uh, a glass of it here and, uh, it's what I realized is I was like, Oh, of course we'll taste a couple of these on air. Right. Great. Uh, what I realized is that when I drink Fernet, I've had enough of it at this point where when I taste or smell it, I'm like, Oh yeah, Fernet. And I'm not, picking out these individual flavor notes. So I think for me, this is just good practice to kind of like kick the, kick the habit of just, you know, saying, Oh, just that's Fernet. It kind of tastes a little bit like this. And so I'll give it a nose here. Um, and you really do, you get, you get, um, almost like a, a, a lemony note and some, some distinct mint on the nose with Fernet Branca and these have been sitting here airing out for, for quite a while now. So a, a lot of the, the more volatile aromatics have blown off, but it's, and, and you, you also get a bit of this bitter smell. Now uh, to me, that's a bit of a, of a, of a mind tweak because bitter is a taste. It doesn't really correspond with anything, but um, I, I do make bitters and thus have had the opportunity to stick my nose into a bag of gentian root and you do certainly get a, a bit of that gentian quality which is it's a little bit woody it's a little bit dry and dusty smelling so those are the main things that i'm getting in the nose i'm getting a little bit of bright citrus a, a good pop of mint and that woody kind of dusty note in the background which i think to me is is the most foreboding part about smelling fernet because there's, there's really no way you're going to get around tasting that. And, and there's, there's this weird little indication in the back of your mind that it's going to taste a lot more bitter and woody than it smells, which I think kind of follows through. Uh, what's your experience with uh, nosing and tasting Fernet Branca? It's pretty similar to what you said. I mean, to be honest, I found it because of the high alcohol percent and the intense menthol, you know, peppermint, spearmint flavors. It's, it's, I don't quite have the palate to distinguish all the subtleties. I know that like, reading Brad's book, there's supposed to be notes of like chamomile in there and, you know, some other like herbs and spices. And, and I don't, I'll be honest, I don't quite, I don't, I don't really fully pick it up. It's so dominant um, when I drink it straight. Um, maybe I just don't have quite the sophisticated palate for all those things. But uh, the thing that stands out to me is how intensely menthol forward it is um, and in the level of ethanol around it. Um, but I also, it's also mm -hmm. interesting when you taste a bunch of these, there are, they either come on strong and finish quick, or they kind of like drag out that bitterness over over a period of time. So you can kind of like, it's interesting how they, they linger differently as well. So um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, what's your perspective on, you just took a sip, like, how is that still lingering for you? Yeah, it is. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because that's exactly what I was going to address next. Um, my friend, uh, Paul McDonald, who runs a bar uh, called Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Philadelphia, he likes to talk about this thing called a uh, like a three dimensional flavor experience or disrupting the traditional linear flavor experience from the back or the from the front of the mouth to the back of the mouth. And 
after tasting the Fernet Branca, the cool thing is it kind of boomerangs around your mouth a little bit. Wherever that physical liquid touched your tongue or the roof of your mouth or your cheeks or any other part of your palate, there's this sort of half-life of that mentholated flavor that kind of kicks kicks back around and keeps your mouth really um, engaged in the, I would say, 30 seconds to a minute after you take your sip. And uh, this ties back to something called chemisthesis. There's this, um, this nerve called the trigeminal nerve, and uh, that's the nerve that's responsible for picking up sensations like heat, cold, uh, spiciness from like chili oil or wasabi, for example, and then also like the, the, the cooling sensation from mentholated flavors. So I think it's really neat that inherent in this category, at least inherent in Fernet Branca, the kind of standout example of the category, we have this three-dimensional flavor experience that's not only taste and flavor, but also bringing in this third thing with this chemisthesis and the trigeminal nerve. Yeah, no, you've, uh, you've definitely got some good research there on the science behind what actually is triggering <laughs> that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. Actually, I, I'm not one, even though I have developed more of a bitter palate over the years, I still can't bring myself to sip on Fernet Bronco casually. Um, I, I find it actually is really great in cocktails because you, you're really that flavor just is so dominant and comes forward. So you can really have some fun with experimenting it mm -hmm. with uh, you know coffee or other like herbal liqueurs. It's, it's really fun. So um, yeah, but uh, it's it's wild. <laughs> sipping sipping nine of these together was also pretty wild at the end. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and I, the, kind of the way that I use it. Uh, on my home bar is uh, a slower downer. It, uh, so for example, let's say I wanted to have a nice glass, like a nice two ounce pour of bourbon. And I was, I, I realized it's like, ah, man, this bourbon's really crushable. Maybe it's like a weeded bourbon and I just really like it. Is there any way to slow myself down and try to contemplate this a little bit more? I, I just turn it into a black Manhattan. So you just add to your two ounces of bourbon, uh, an ounce of Fernet, and there you've got your classic black Manhattan. Of course, the classic would be with rye as opposed to bourbon, but uh, you see where I'm going. So I, I use it often in combination with things like bourbon, with things like uh, mezcal. I've actually found the black Manhattan format to be really cool with mezcal. Um, so I, I use it as a, as a way to slow down and a, a way to get to know some of the other spirits in relation to Fernet, see if they stand up to it, see if they maybe kind of fall under the radar compared to the bitterness. Um, so that's kind of how I use it behind my home bar. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. It's a good swap for certain modifiers like vermouth or other Amaro as well. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So we've got the Fernet Branca. And the one thing I, I want to mention before we move on here is that when you put this product next to other Fernets in a glass, uh, one of the things that I notice is it tends to be much darker, uh, almost opaque if you're, if you're not shining a light directly on it. I'm lucky enough to have a light right here. And if you put it right up to a light, you can see this beautiful, dark, almost um, burgundy color. But uh, it is it is very dark if you're not holding it directly up to a, a light. And a, a lot of the other Amari or, or Fernets that you uh, spoke about in your video, I, I like that you took a moment to talk about the color. Uh, because I think that's something that a lot of people kind of breeze over when they're doing a, an evaluation of a, a spirit or an ingredient. But what I like about it is it can it, color can tell you something. 
Uh, and maybe you don't immediately know what that color is telling you, but I, I do think it, it does have some some things to share in the overall evaluation of a spirit. So uh, the next one that I have here to taste, which was also featured in your video, is the uh, Fernet Leopold Highland Amaro, which was uh, one of the more compelling flavors, uh, at least in terms of, of your evaluation. So could you talk a little bit about uh, how this product strikes you, especially being an American Amaro? Yeah. Yeah, I was excited for that one. Uh, I really like Leopold Brothers. I actually have a lot of their products. I believe they're based out of Denver area, if I recall. Um, so, mm -hmm. But uh, that one actually stood out to me for one particular flavor note that um, not everyone in the comments agreed with me, but I went back and tasted it again, and like I still hold true to it. Um, so here's how I would, I would describe it, if I can remember. It was, like, it was relatively sweet on the front um, and more of a menthol back which was interesting, like some, some of these Fernets, it's just right away it hits you on the note, on the nose with menthol. But I felt this one's a little sweeter on the front and then kind of eases into menthol. But I, I did get a distinct flavor of like weed when I drank it actually. And I, I wasn't like trying to imply that just cause it's, you know, from Colorado, they're probably throwing that in there. I, I, something about whatever uh, botanicals they mixed in there and herbs, like it, it definitely had that note to me, and uh, and I did a group taste test with some friends, and we we all kind of had the consensus around that. But I'm very curious if you're getting any of that as well, um, uh, if that is a comparison <laughs> you feel you can make. <laughs> yes, I can certainly make that comparison. Uh, it, it's got a bit of yeah. a stank to it, uh, and, and I'm okay with that. I actually, you know, I like... Um, I'm a Heineken fan. I like the the slightly skunky taste of Heineken, you know. Uh, so I can get behind something with with a little bit of that funk to it. And to me, when I smell it, I get a, I get a couple of things. I get like a junipery note for sure, like a like a really nice freshly sourced juniper. And I have a feeling they probably threw in like being a Highland tomorrow based in the U.S. I imagine they maybe threw in some spruce tips, which are this notoriously difficult ingredient to source if you don't live in a place where you can just wild forage it because it's almost impossible to cultivate. Um, and then I get like, and I think this is maybe where that stank is coming from. I get a little bit of like lemon verbena, specifically lemon verbena, and then also maybe something like a fresh bay laurel. And I think maybe the combination of some of those flavors and probably some stuff that I'm just not able to, to, to tease out as an individual botanical is what's creating that flavor profile. I definitely agree. I find it compelling. And one of the things that I noticed when I held up the glass of the Leopold, um, for net to my light here is there's a little bit of particulate matter in there. Now, certainly not enough, like you wouldn't even be able to see it with the naked eye. You really need to hold it up to a light and examine it closely. But I don't know, like kind of reminds me of like the, uh, like the hazy IPA take, you know, where you get like a little bit, you know, like the cloudiness. Uh, it, there's obviously like some, some stuff in here. And I, I kind of don't mind seeing a few little tiny particles floating around because to me that signals that, you know, Hey, this is real stuff. Yeah. There were some of the ones I tasted that were, they advertised themselves as unfiltered and you had a good amount of particulate. Some of them, the best ones I had were actually that way. Um, and, and I agree like this one was, this one was fun. Uh, what's nice about Fernet is, I mean, you don't need, you don't need a sophisticated palate to realize like how different some of these are. You know, it's not like you're tasting the subtle differences amongst like different bourbons. This is like, 
th these things are wildly different from the ones I tasted. And part of that's due to the, you know, there's, there's not like a standardization around what this category is, right? Um, there was one that I tried. It was the, it was one from the Czech Republic. It's called like Argelinic. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, but this one was so much less bitter than the others. It was very sweet. It was really delicious, very drinkable, some nice vanilla notes, very light, bitter finish, but like not nearly as bitter as any others. It, you, you could argue that's not even like, it shouldn't really be even in the Fernet category, um, just if you're comparing it to the other ones in that category. But again, there's not a strict definition, as far as I'm aware, of what makes a Fernet, um, except for some of the, the general uh, characteristics I outlined earlier. So um, it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah, the, the Leopold was just, was just pretty wild, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, same here. And I think like when you put the Leopold next to uh, the Fernet Branca, you I you don't really want to use them interchangeably in cocktails. Like you couldn't just sub in the Leopold and get a product that is right. even kind of in the same ballpark. It's it's going to be wildly different when you mix with it. Yeah, that's that's pretty spot on, uh, and that's why I think you know if a cocktail, unless it calls for a specific brand of Fernet you're probably going to want to use Fernet Branca to get the profile that the creator was going for because there is such variation across the different formulas. Um, so you're, you're spot on. You wouldn't easily be able to sub these. Uh, there, there were some that were quite similar to Fernet Branca, I will say. Um, so like the Luxardo and even the Fernet Francisco, I thought were pretty similar. Um, and I was suspecting maybe they were trying to keep it a similar flavor profile to the Branca. Um, but delicious in their own right. Yeah. I want to loop back and, and comment on one thing uh, that you were mentioning before about like, you know, like the lack of consensus about like what Fernet is, the lack of perhaps like standardization or codification in the uh, Amaro category. This is something that Souther Teague, who runs Amore Amargo in New York, talks about quite a bit. Um, his podcast is called The Speakeasy. It's part of my weekly listening diet, so I highly recommend that anyone who's listening to this should probably go and listen to that. He's way smarter than I am. Um, but uh, yeah, he always he always mentions how like the people say rum is the Wild West. No. Amaro is the Wild West. There are individual rum nations that have very specific laws, and it's most of the issues are, are about um, other countries respecting those laws. Uh, Fernet, or Amaro in general, just doesn't have a whole ton of regulations around it. So it really is this place where you, you break out of the mode of self-referentiality that you find a ton in bourbon. You know, when you taste a bourbon, you're getting, like, a handful of flavor notes, caramel, vanilla, toffee, and maybe some fruit notes. And you're going to find that bourbon after bourbon after bourbon after bourbon. And that's kind of what makes it a, a bit of a self-referential category. But in, in Amari, and especially in Fernet's, what we're finding here, uh, it's not self-referential at all. In fact, it, it maybe even suffers from the the problem at the opposite end of the spectrum. So I just wanted to, to highlight that so that when people are thinking about a particular spirits category, you can also run that category through the question of, is this a self-referential category where things are gathering around a mean, or is this a category where things are at way different ends of various um, kind of uh, spectrums? So I just wanted to, to pull that out um, and see if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's it's also pretty spot on. I think there's pros and cons too. 
the Amaro category of uh, being so undefined. You get so many interesting variations, but it also is confusing for the average consumer. I think it, it to some extent, could hold the category back a bit without more um, more definition. Uh, even you know, I think like you talked about re revolving around a mean. Like I feel like that's what Fernet really is. It's like you have. That's how I looked at this category. On average, you have Fernets that are higher ABV. They have a higher bitter profile, maybe more menthol forward. And then I tried that one, that Czech Republic one I mentioned. It was so far away from the average of what the others were. I'm like, does that not mean it's in this category? But there, there's no one right. putting a stamp of approval on this is a Fernet and this is not a Fernet. So it's hard to argue against it as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, you mentioned the Fernet Francisco, which is the local San Francisco Fernet. I'm not quite sure if in the video you mentioned who produces that. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I cannot, I can't recall. I think, hopefully I'm not getting confused with a different story, but I'm pretty sure it was like uh, some kind of chemist and a bar and, and, a, menth and a Fernet enthusiast who met at like, Coachella or something, and they kind of connected over their mutual love of Fernet, and uh, and then they decided to make one. Um, I'm pretty sure that was the story around that one. I can't remember their names, but um, yeah, it was it was a local job, and uh, you know, it's I love supporting local, and uh, and I think they did a great job of making something that clearly is within that category and stands up to Fernet Bronco really well. For sure, for sure. So let's move to the, the second portion of your video. Um, and I realized in my interview questions, I put Brazil instead of Argentina, which was a, a, a misstep on my part. But uh, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you not only tasted these Fernets by themselves, but also in the Fernet and Coke format. So could you talk about that format, maybe why it's so popular in Argentina, despite the fact that maybe most people in the U.S. would have never encountered this drink, uh, and and maybe how you made it. Uh, you use a very specific ratio in the video. Yeah, so Fernet, for a variety of reasons, is very popular in Argentina. Um, I, I, my understanding is it has to do with a lot of the Italian immigrants who came over, and uh, there are certain regions of Argentina that are just obsessed with this drink of Fernet and Coke, and there is a ritual around. By which they actually drink it. It's very, it's very, it's a very social like thing you drink before you're going out. You're sitting outside with a bunch of friends. And what they do is they take like a two liter bottle, you know, an empty two liter bottle of you know something. They like cut it in half, so you just have this what they call like a viajero, which is like a like a called like the traveler or something. It's like a jug. It's just an open jug. They take a a lighter and they just sort of. Uh, sort of melt the rim a little bit to get rid of all the jagged edges. Yeah, so you, so you don't this, cut yourself. Yeah, so you don't cut yourself. So you now have this vessel. And there was a, there's a very standard ratio of, um, what is it, 70% cola and 30% fernet. Uh, that's sort of like a very standard ratio. Throw some ice in there, throw some fernet, throw some cola, usually Coke, and uh, pass it around. And that's like that's sort of like your pregame down there. Um, and it is, yeah, it's like a cultural obsession down there. And uh, so the second part of my video was basically to run it back and try every one of those same Fernets in that exact same ratio with some, some Coke and some ice and uh, do a similar taste test around that, um, which was a fun experiment. 
did you have any surprises or um, interesting findings from that? Because I, I, you mentioned during the video that like your palate after tasting nine different frenets is obviously like blasted. So in one respect, the Coke is I'm sure welcome, but in another respect, I mean, Coke is sweet and Coke is carbonated, which can throw you off a little bit. So, um, I don't know. What, what were your findings from that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, there were no radical surprises. The, the overly sweet frenets that I found with the direct tasting also tended to be like way too sweet, of course, in a frenet and Coke. And honestly, like we're, significantly worse in my opinion just because you're just adding something sweeter to something that's already sweet like you mentioned and it was just not very drinkable so the more intense ones i found to be more enjoyable the ones that really uh were a lot bolder a lot more menthol forward so i think i think my favorite actually ended up being the frenet francisco for that one um but i also really liked the bronca menta uh, with the intense mint peppermint flavor um so yeah, it was not a huge shock, but it was fun to go back and like try everything again uh, through that standard uh, that standard ratio. I ended up getting some comments saying that um, because Coke has gotten really expensive apparently now down in Argentina, the real common drink is to mix that Bronca Menta with like grapefruit soda. Uh, that apparently is like the new thing. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's funny to see all these different like evolutions of of how Fernet's consumed down there with grapefruit soda. Yeah. Is grapefruit soda or grapefruit juice? I can't remember. I think it was grapefruit soda. Yeah. It just seems like doing that, wouldn't that create the drinking orange juice after brushing your teeth flavor? (laughs) Yeah, I I would hope not. Uh, (laughs) I I guess not. I don't know. I I would assume not. I mean, I I should have tried that, to be honest, also in the video. But um, uh, I do have to go back and try that one again. It's interesting. uh, It's interesting. Apparently, that's what they're doing. (laughs) Man. Wow. And I think, you know what, uh, as I was thinking about it, I think one of the reasons why I may have um, unintentionally put Brazil in my interview question is because uh, I was doing some some research about Fernet because Fernet is produced in Milan, Italy. And obviously Milan's being really negatively affected by the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus that's uh, been raging in Italy in particular uh, and, and I, in, so in doing that research, I think it was mentioned that they have a secondary facility somewhere in Brazil. And so I think that was the Brazil connection that I mistakenly made, but, um, yeah. Do we think that maybe in the foreseeable future with all that's going on, uh, knowing that Fernet is produced and a lot of these other, uh, Fernets are being produced in regions of Italy that are going to be kind of devastated that, that we might be seeing shortages in the future? Oh, that's a good question. I really, I really don't know. It's like, on the one hand, there might be a supply constraint, but on the other hand, like, the demand from bars is way down. I'm sure too. So they might actually have a glut coming out. Who knows? Um, I'm not quite sure what the production situation is over there. But uh, yeah, and I did hear that. Um, I was aware that there was a South American facility producing for Net Branca. Um, I've been told that actually it's a slightly different formulation. Uh, these are all comments I got from Argentinians Ooh. after I put this video out. They're saying, well, you're not really tasting the true one unless you have the Argentinian or Brazilian version of it. Um, so I guess I'll have to travel down there and run it back again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so interesting. That's like, yeah, it's like Mexican Coke versus, uh, yeah, geez. Uh, they're not making our jobs easy for us, are they? <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Nick, this was, this has been awesome. Uh, 
it's it's a little strange to just take a piece of content that you made and then just rehash it for the podcast but it's it's something that I was so passionate about and that you did such a good job doing that that I wanted to to feature it especially for our listeners and especially because you know this is a time when everyone's kind of cooped up indoors that I feel like people are looking for projects and uh, I feel that a legitimate project would be to train your palate to uh, to be more receptive to bitter things that, that that are a little bit scary when you're just getting into spirits and cocktails. So uh, I thought that this came at a good time, and uh, I just I really appreciate the the thorough job that you did on your video series. So uh, before we jump into the lightning rounds here, uh, do you have anything else you want to add on the subject of Fernet, on the subject of cocktail videos? I would say. I would be remiss if I didn't give a plug to my favorite out of all the ones I tested, um, which was very unexpected. I'd never heard of this before, but it was this Italian brand called Fred Jerbis. And uh, it was this is one of those that I talked about that was sort of unfiltered. And when I held it up and looked at the color, it was by far the lightest color out there. So it definitely stood out and I was a little skeptical of it. But honestly, it was phenomenal. It was like, it was a little less like menthol forward and a little less bitter, but like super complex, very sweet on the front, but just the right amount of bitter um, hitting on the back, some like citrus notes peppered in there. Honestly, it was it was fantastic. If you're looking for like uh, an entry-level sippable Fernet, the Fred Jervis was my go-to. And apparently they make a whole line of like vermouths and stuff too that I'm, I'm really keen to try out now. Um, but yeah, wow. so I highly recommend it. Cool. Well, if um, if I am able to, I'll see if I can do some poking around online uh, and, and determine, obviously, that's got to come to the U.S. via an import company. And usually that kind of dictates where these types of things are available. So if possible, I will see if I can give our listeners uh, a bit of a sense of where they can maybe pick this up. And it, with any luck, it'll be in a state that, that ships as well for, for everybody's benefit. So yeah. Um, yeah, that that was that was really interesting to hear your thoughts on that as well. So everybody, please go to the Cocktail Chemistry YouTube channel. Go check out Nick's tasting of all nine Fernets. We're gonna have a link to that right in the show notes. Actually, I'm just gonna embed the video uh, so you can just check it out right there um, before, during, or after you listen to this. And uh, I guarantee you, it's it's gonna be uh, one of the more illuminating watches that that you have, uh, especially on this topic. So uh, with that, you ready for some lightning round questions? Let's do it. All right. Favorite cocktail. And if you don't have a favorite of all time, what's something that you're more obsessed with recently? Favorite cocktail. I feel like I'll give a nuanced answer here, but I would say it has to be the Negroni for me. It's the one I fall back on the most and the one I have the most fun playing around with. So doing like a Mezcal Negroni or, you know, a Boulevardier. Uh, I mean, it's just, an excellent cocktail and probably the one that actually really developed my bitter palate. Um, so on, on the topic of Fernet, like honestly, that's, that was, was kind of a gateway cocktail for me. Um, I, I will say though, even after doing this Fernet, after doing this Fernet video, I started playing around with, well, I needed to figure out some cocktails to put nine bottles of Fernet in. Right. So like I started playing around and doing some research and I came across the industry sour, which I'd never had before. Um, it's like an equal parts cocktail of, Fernet Branca, green chartreuse, lime juice, and simple syrup. And immediately I saw that and I was excited because I love green chartreuse. And it is fantastic. Like if you haven't had that yet, like go make that with your Fernet Branca. It's unbelievable. Uh, um, yes, please. So that's like that. the industry sour is like my cocktail of the month uh, for me. 
but I'll, I have to go back to the classic Negroni is my, my favorite. Wow. The industry sour. Well, you solved the problem of what the featured cocktail for this episode is going to be. So we'll get that. And I'm going to make that tonight for sure. Um, it seems like a last word, right? It's kind of like a last word riff where uh, you're using the, the lime juice in the lime juice and instead of the maraschino, which adds a little bit of complexity to that, you're, uh, you're actually taking a little bit of complexity away by using simple syrup because you've got fernet and chartreuse, like the arguably like the two most complex flavor profiles available. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want to add any more complexity to that. Um, last yeah. word is also a great one to play around with, but your, your, the comparison is, is pretty spot on. Yeah. So it's not that this is the industry sour is not the best looking cocktail. I'll tell you when you pour it, it's kind of like a kind of looks a little brownish almost, but like if you can get past that, it's unbelievable. Nice. All right, man. That sounds awesome. Uh, if you were a cocktail ingredient, what would you be and why? Hmm. Okay. I feel like, so I've got a bit of a sweet tooth and I'm from Seattle originally. So like coffee flows through my veins. So I'd probably have to go with like a coffee liqueur. Um, and it, you know, it's funny. One of my bonus videos I did after this fernet, uh, after this fernet tasting was some 50, 50 shots uh, and 50, 50 like industry shots are like great with fernet. There's a ton of them out there. Um, and probably my favorite right now is a 50, 50 of fernet bronca and uh, coffee liqueur. So I use like, you can use like a, a Mr. Black or like uh, St. George makes a good one. Um, but like, honestly, it's, it's a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal shot. So I'd say for me, coffee liqueur, just cause of like, you know, I, I really love coffee and have a sweet tooth. Nice. Yeah. And also super versatile, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right. Here's the Widowmaker question. Cocktail with anybody past or present? Who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Just kind of paint us a picture of your ultimate cocktail experience. That's a good question. Um, I might have to go with like Ernest Hemingway. Knowing that he like, he had a good palate for cocktails. He's got some interesting, I think he has probably the most interesting stories of anyone ever. Uh, maybe during his time when he was in Cuba, like go there and have like a Hemingway daiquiri with him and confirm that he actually did like it that way. Uh, and th there's a whole story around him, like, you know, wanting it less sweet and like, maybe I think he'd been having like diabetes or something. So he wanted it like a less sweet version of it. So I'd confirm that story, but also get a bunch of other stories from him. That'd probably be my answer. Yeah. Yeah. And actually there's, um, a podcast called the bar none podcast with uh greg benson who is kind of the the fill-in for damon bolte on the speakeasy uh now that damon is relocated to the west coast um and his podcast re his most recent episode i believe is is on the hemingway daiquiri itself so um okay. for any any of you listeners out there check that out um I've heard that it's very good. It's on my to listen list for sure. So uh, anybody who's a fan of the Hemingway Daiquiri uh, or Ernest Hemingway, check that out for sure. So uh, next question, what is a common or traditional cocktail ingredient that you've never tasted and why? And the example that I'll give is I've uh, never had, oh man, now I'm blanking on the name, um, Di Sorono. What What is that a, a brand of? Oh. Uh, yeah, that's like, uh, well, what is that? Is that like a, it's like a amaretto. Yes. It's a type of amaretto. Yeah. So yeah. I've never had yeah. an amaretto. Yeah. You've never had an amaretto. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And it's because yeah. of the Di Sorono commercials oh. when I was a teenager and they would like market it like perfume and they just have this disembodied voice whispering Di Sorono 
while beautiful yeah. people make out. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of cringy back then. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I've ever had that either. Now that you mentioned that, um, <laughs> <laughs> I've had. I do have some amaretto, and actually, I got some amaretto to make um, Jeffrey Morgenthaler's amaretto sour. Uh, he did some posts about how he like, this is like the best amaretto sour you'll ever have. And it's really, it's really tasty. Um, in fact, so I didn't even know what Disarono even really was. I remember seeing those commercials and like being like, I don't want any of that. It kind of reminds me yeah. of like the, the, you know, the, the dark days of the cocktail world. Um, uh-huh. and my answer is probably similar. Um, I've never had that like bright green, like Midori liqueur, Ooh. right? Like the Midori sour stuff. And I think for obvious reasons, like... <laughs> I want to stay away from like some of that like intense, clearly very artificial looking uh, flavors. But I know people have had fun playing around with it. I may end up, I'm kind of coming around now to like things like the blue curacao and like, oh, you can kind of do some fun stuff with, with colors. And I have obviously a very visual medium. So I'm kind of coming around to that a little more. So maybe, maybe Midori will have to bust out and play with. You know, I feel like the only format where I could really see it working would be Something with cucumber and something that was approximating the chartreuse swizzle, which mm. is, of course, a uh, great San Francisco cocktail. Yeah. Um, it is, y- you're really not missing much by have never having consumed that on its own. It is, it's obnoxious and loud in a lot of ways, but yeah, it's, I think it's one of those challenge ingredients where you got to be like, all right. This is what we got to work with. This is like chopped style cocktails. Right. I've got my secret ingredient is Midori. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How do we, how do we make this palatable? Um, it's like I, I often sure. have to like, whether I'm recreating a cocktail from pop culture or trying to do like a themed thing. Like for example, I don't know if you watch the TV show Archer, but there is a, they have a bunch of cocktails in that show and there's one called the green Russian and it's like absinthe mm-hmm. and like, uh, it's basically like a white Russian with like cream and vodka and in their case, absinthe. It's, it's freaking terrible. But I recreated it. I needed something green. And whenever I need something green, I always go to green chartreuse because it's amazing. So I've never really had a need to like go out and get like uh, like Midori just to fulfill that, like check the box on something green to like make a drink out of. Um, so we'll see. But uh, that's that's my yeah. answer to that question. Ooh, okay. Um, last uh, question in the lightning round here. What's a controversial opinion that you hold uh, in the spirits and cocktail space? Yeah, so being active on Reddit and YouTube, I get a lot of <laughs> comments that are like, you know, uh, if, if, if I do something that they don't agree with, I hear about it right away. So it's, it's nice real-time feedback. Uh, I would say the one thing I... I stick to my guns on is is using like really nice whiskeys in in old fashioned. You get a lot of whiskey snobs who will be like, "How dare you like, you know, take that you know twelve year Yamazaki and like make a make a old fashioned out of it because it's like sacred right now." It's like like don't compromise something that's really nice. But I'm like garbage in, garbage out, right? If I'm putting something really nice. You know, the better the better the uh, the juice, the better the final product's going to be. And for something so spirit forward, like an old fashioned, it's like it actually still really shines. So I, I still stick to that. I will I will use very nice spirits to make very spirit forward cocktails. Um, probably do wouldn't do it in like a whiskey sour, but like I will I will do it in old fashioned. Uh, but I do get a lot of a lot of crap for that. And I think that's smart. I mean, I think that's the uh, old fashioned and the martini and the Manhattan, I think, are all formats that can really let a great spirit shine through, Uh, even though, 
in the early days when these cocktails were first invented, the spirits were a far cry from the quality that we enjoy today. Um, so it's not technically traditional, but you know, another way that I think about that is that great spirits are like novels, right? You, you said yourself, Yamazaki 12. Well, what does the 12 mean? The 12 means that for 12 years, uh, that whiskey was t- tended to, it was moved around in rick houses it was tasted occasionally and it's it's more of like a novel than it is something like a cocktail would be like a poem like a, a more of a spontaneous speech act or a spontaneous piece of of art and that's how i look at, at cocktails as as more of like poetry or comedy or these these very, like very performance oriented things as opposed to you know, like that book that's sitting there on your shelf that you can pick up and and leaf through very contemplatively. So I think cocktails and straight spirits fill very different roles. And I think for that reason, I'm also comfortable putting like nicer spirits in cocktails because to me, it's it's just a different format. In fact, I think it helps me to understand the spirit better when I see it standing next to other ingredients and and becoming something slightly different than it was when it went in. So I I support you. All right. I got someone on my side. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nick, this has been tremendous. Um, I'd like to give you now an opportunity to just plug all your social media, all your channels. Um, We're going to have links to everything on the show notes page over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. But let us have it. Cool. Yeah. So like my main uh, medium is YouTube cocktail chemistry. You can just search for me. You'll find me post all my recipes as well on cocktailchemistrylab.com. Um, also have a pretty fun cocktail calculator there. That's basically just taken some of the, the formulas that Dave Arnold came up with in liquid intelligence and put it into like a interactive uh, calculator. So if you're building cocktails and trying to get the right balance and ethanol levels, it's, it's pretty useful. Um, the other social channel I'm pretty active on is Instagram. So I create like quick 60 second versions of all my videos and post it there. Um, or you can find me on the GIF recipes subreddit as well. Not super active on Twitter or Facebook these days though, but, uh, yeah, check me out. Nice. Great. And, um, yeah, I also second that and just, uh, just a plug for our listeners. Uh, it seems like you have like a lot of Amazon affiliate stuff set up through your website. And, um, so you've got great little kind of rundowns of like, Hey, here's, here's your starter stuff. Here's different, you know, tools that are, I find really useful and that, that you've featured in your videos. So, um, for folks who are interested in maybe building out their bar or picking up some bar equipment, I, I think a really nice thing that you can do, uh, for Nick is actually to, before you make your purchases, check out cocktailchemistry.com. And when you follow those links, you're actually going to be helping to support him and his content. And if you learn something from this podcast, I think you know, it, it doesn't cost you anything to, to click through uh, to Amazon from his site. So I think that'd be a great way to uh, give us a, a little virtual thank you um, for for all the great insights he's, he's given us here and on YouTube. Yeah, I appreciate that. And um, I would also just say during these times where bars are really struggling, try to make sure to support your local bars as you can. Um, a lot of them have GoFundMe set up. A lot of them are doing takeout. A lot of them are selling gift cards. So do what you can to support local or donate to the, the USBG relief funds, which are um, uh, trying to support people in general to make sure they have insurance, make sure they still have a salary and uh, uh, get through these tough times. Yep, absolutely. It's it's on us as bar patrons to um, 
you know, kind of think about creative ways to do that because everybody's strapped right now. So um, I believe you've also got a, a link in the banner on your site right now for some of that USBG stuff. Yeah, I just did a bit of a little fundraiser video where I made a bunch of quarantine cocktails and uh, donating all proceeds to USBG and also encouraging everyone to support local where you can right now. So um, nice. yeah, check it out. Cool. Well, Nick, this has been phenomenal. I hope we have a bunch of new Fernet fans on our hands here. Uh, and I uh, just want to say thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. This was fun. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed. Fernet insights and bittersweet tasting notes courtesy of Nick Fisher of Cocktail Chemistry and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2020.